Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark and coming up on today's episode, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be music based and I'm absolutely thrilled to announce that I'm going to be joined by the lead singer of the amazing Silverstein. Yes, Shane Todd will be joining me for today's episode. This is a great, great interview. He goes into great detail about his own podcast, which is called Lead Singer Syndrome, and it is pretty much what it says. He gets to interview all these amazing vocalists, so we get to talk about that. We get to talk about the band's 20-year history, and we also get to talk about the brand new album, which at the moment is probably my album of the year. It's early days, but I absolutely adore it. So stick around for my interview with Shane Todd coming up very, very shortly. But in true typical Mark and Me fashion, I like to talk about the last episode. So on episode 80, I was joined by Dee Wallace, an absolute horror icon, and the response was phenomenal. So thank you to everyone that tuned in. It was a great interview, and I saw that she shared it as well on her social media. The numbers were great, and I had some amazing feedback, so thanks again. But as you're listening to this right now, you might think, hmm, this doesn't sound quite the quality that I'm used to from Mark and Me. And that's because right now in lockdown, I don't have any access to my microphones, so I'm recording everything directly into my laptop. I thought to myself, do I delay Mark and me? Do I not put episodes out until this whole coronavirus thing's over? But I thought, no, do you know what? People should still get access, so maybe the quality isn't quite as good, but it's still about the content. And today's interview is easily one of my most favourite that I've conducted since starting this podcast. So I think at this point, the best thing to do is get straight to that. So here's my interview with me and Shane. First of all, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. It's an honour to have you on. Yeah, man, thank you. I love podcasts. So what I wanted to do is start by taking it right back to the beginning, really. Uh, when you were a kid, I want to know what were those sort of first albums that you bought that you adored and fell in love with? Well, um, the earliest kind of memories of music in my house would have been uh, Kiss, nice. Dynasty record, you know, the like disco uh, <laughs> album they made. Yeah, man. And, and Michael Jackson... Uh, I guess it was Thriller, um, you know, those um, those records just getting spun around my house, and um, and my mom was really into, like, classic rock, so she was always listening to, like, Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and stuff, so that's kind of the stuff I remember most, and, you know, I always liked music, and my dad had a guitar, so he was, you know, he would, like, be playing, you know, Puff the Magic Dragon or something on the guitar and singing, and I thought that was cool, but... It really wasn't until um, I, I heard my sister, uh, my older sister, she's seven years older than me. I heard her in her room listening to uh, Metallica. <laughs> nice. And, you know, and, and she used to dance around her room, and I wasn't allowed to go in there. And I was like, that's so cool. What is this music? So that was like my first real entry into, you know, oh, this is like something I'm really passionate about. This isn't just like music in the background. This is like, I am focusing on this, you know, music, and that was, it was definitely, was Metallica, but the first CD I ever bought, actually, uh, with, you know, with my own money, was uh, Nirvana Nevermind. Oh, man, I mean, you've had some absolute awesome foundations there, with your parents playing Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, and then you've got your sister listening to Metallica, and then Nirvana, it's like, Jesus, like, it doesn't get much better than that to start with. No, well, it's funny, so I bought the, I bought the uh, CD at a Costco, which is funny. Nice. <laughs> they used to sell CDs. Yeah. And this was like right when, you know, they only would sell 
like they didn't, it wasn't like a whole CD store, you know, they just sell like the, the, the top, you know, flavor of the month, uh, records. Yeah. So this was when Nirvana had just come out and, you know, Smells Like Teen Spirit was this massive hit and it was, it, I had to choose cause I only had like, you know, enough to buy one CD and it was, I had to choose between Nirvana, Nevermind and Genesis, We Can't Dance. Wow. The, those were my choices and I, I really wanted to get the Genesis record. Uh, but my sister was like, no, 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 get, get, get the Nirvana record. They're way cooler. And, uh, yeah, it's a good thing I did. So then obviously you had that Nirvana CD. I'm sure then you went and got other bands like everyone did, like Offspring, Green Day, all those sort of early bands. But yeah, yeah, it was a little later though, um, for me, I guess. Cause uh, like, you know, it, it's, it's funny. We all talk about it. You know, like, oh, it's the 90s. Like, it was just all, like, because a lot of people, younger people, they all heard it at the same time. But, you know, for, for me, I actually grew up in the 90s, um, you know, and because I, I was born in 1981. So yeah. when Nirvana came out in, I guess it would have been, like, 92, um, you know, like, between 92 and 94, when you're a kid, that's, like, so long. You know? Yeah, so yeah. From when... From when Nirvana came out, and then, yeah, Metallica, the Black Album, had come out, like, around then, and, of course, there was, like, the Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion records, like, those were so big, and then, yeah, and then I guess it was a couple years later, because I would have been in, like, middle school, and that's in, in 1994, when Green Day and Offspring, they had those huge records, and that's what got me into punk rock, um, because before that, the only punk band I really knew was, like, the Ramones. yeah. Um, and The Clash, and, like, I thought that music was, like, okay, but there was this whole different energy that Green Day and The Offspring had that I'd never really heard before. And then when I heard Rancid and I heard No Effects, that was, like, for me, the biggest game changer. Yeah, I mean, I was born in 82, so I'm pretty much the same. I remember going to school and getting Smash um, by Offspring and self-esteem and stuff like that, and that was the change. Yeah. I was like fucking hell these bands have changed my life overnight and then it led to like you said no effects i remember getting uh punkin drublick and all those sort of albums and just exactly. being like oh man like this is all i want to do now exactly exactly it's that's exactly my same story well you know um a lot of people forget you know that that offspring record it was on an independent label and it was on epitaph records so what was crazy was the CD used to, it came with a little catalog in it that was like, oh, if you like Offspring, then check out all these bands. And it was, that was, you know, also on Epitaph was No Effects and Rancid and, you know, um, Down by Law and just all of these, you know, other bands that, um, you know, I got to find out about. And I sort of started to realize that, hey, this is what a scene is. This is what underground music is. Like, you know. And, um, and before that, I, I didn't really, you know, other than like some local bands playing in, you know, like a YMCA in my hometown, I didn't really know much about, you know, underground bands that were more popular, if that makes any sense. Obviously, you had all these CDs and then you're, you're kind of at school and you're studying stuff, but what was one of those first times that you actually went to then see a band live and see it actually being performed in front of you? Uh, well, I guess... I was really young and I went to see Bruce Springsteen with my parents. Wow. And yeah. And it was like, it was too much for me. Like I, I was like into it. Like I thought it was cool or whatever, but you know, he was still like, even back then this was on the, this was probably like the, I don't know, lucky, like the, what was that record he put out? Like lucky dog or something. 
kind of like or human touch, like kind of a bad era yeah. for Springsteen. But he was still playing like three hour shows back then. So it was like too much for me. And then I think maybe a year after that, um, I went to see Metallica and that was my first like show, you know, that I went to. And it was uh it was Metallica, Danzig, and Suicidal Tendencies. Fucking that hell. was the that was the lineup. So the first band I ever saw, I walked in with my sister, and my sister's seven years older than me, right? So, so you know, she was, I was probably like 12, and she would have been like 19. And we walked into the to the uh, venue. It was like a big outdoor uh, venue called Molson Park outside Toronto. And the first thing I ever witnessed on stage was Mike Muir of Suicidal Tendencies going on this completely nonsensical rant <laughs> about like, if you do what you believe, that's what being suicidal is. If you don't care what the man says and you say, fuck the man, that's what being suicidal is. I'm 12 years old being like, doesn't suicidal mean you want to kill yourself? <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first, you know, the thing I ever saw, um, you know, live, uh, you know, other than Springsteen, which it was, you know, that was like my parents' music. So I was, you know, I was willing to sleep through that. I was not willing to sleep through Suicidal Tendencies, Danzig, and Metallica. So at this point, what when was it where you actually thought, I want to do this as a living, I want to be in a band? Was it because you said, was it your dad had a guitar? Was that right? Yeah, well, my dad, so my dad had a guitar, an, an acoustic guitar. He, he, used to, he used to play in some bands and stuff. I kind of want to ask him about that, because I've never really got the, the whole story about what he used to do. But I remember he had an electric guitar in the basement, but it didn't work. And then he always had the acoustic guitar kind of leaning against the wall in the house, so he would play sometimes. And, um, you know, I was interested in it, but um, my sister, you know, I talked about her playing Metallica in her room. Well, one time I was there, and she let me in her room. She was being nice one day, and, and she played me the song One by Metallica. And the ending, you know, it has that real, like, machine gun rapid yeah. fire, you know, like... And I was like, that's the craziest thing I ever want to do. Like, I said to her, I was like, I want to do that. But I didn't know what instrument made that sound. I was like, is that a guitar? Is that drums? What is that? And, you know, it's both together. Yeah. But um, I didn't know what that was. And she's like, well, I think it's a guitar. So um, so I was like, okay, I want, to, I want to get a guitar. So my dad was super supportive of that, you know, being a guitar player himself. So um, he's like, okay, we'll get you a guitar. And like literally two days later, we were at this like Sears, um, <laughs> I don't know, like a Sears outlet store where they sell like, you know, like liquidation stuff, you know? Yeah. And they had literally like a, like a folding table, like this is a huge store, just with electric guitars, just guitars all over it. And they're, some of them are in kind of rough shape, but they're all new, but they're like broken strings and whatever. And on the back with Sharpie was the prices of all of them. And uh, the one guitar written in Sharpie on the back, somebody had written $25 on the guitar. I think it was supposed to be 250 Yeah. Uh, and anyway, we, my dad's like, well, let's get this one. And I was like, Dad, it's missing some strings. He's like, that's okay. Don't worry about it. And uh, we took that guitar home, and that was my first guitar. And I started taking guitar lessons. And, um, you know, that's... I just got really into it. You know, I, I got a guitar teacher that showed me, he showed me like the really boring stuff. Like I started out, I was only allowed to, to touch one string at a time and I had to learn all the notes on one string and then all the notes on the other string. And I learned all the theory and everything. And 
I think looking back, that was really helpful for me, you know, other than just being like, hey, here's how to play a power chord, you know. The thing is, at that age, you just want to play a power chord and play every song that you've ever listened to by Weezer and Metallica and Nirvana, and you just don't care about the fucking right, yeah, notes. Exactly. Well, at this point, Weezer hadn't come out yet. Yeah. This would have been like 1991. Okay. But yeah, I think the first um, the first riff I ever learned was one. Yeah. Like that. But it was wrong. I only played it on one string, on the high <laughs> string. It was the right notes. Um, and that was the first riff, I guess. And then I think I learned the... when I, Once I learned the intro to Enter, Enter Sandman, yeah. um, once I learned that, it was like, holy shit, I could do anything, man. You know? Um, and that was, that was, for me, it was a big game changer. And were you like a typical sort of college guy in lots of bands, always trying out different things? Or have you been in any a few? For me, I I um I started out and you know I was I was pretty young and and I was the only person I knew that played guitar or played drums. Um, and then my best friend that lives down the street, uh, you know, I convinced him to get a guitar. And um, he's actually his name is Brian Robinson. He plays bass for a Wilhelm scream. Cool. So we grew up on the same street, and uh, yeah, he he. So we started you know playing and we dreamed about forming a band and then we found this drummer in our our middle our middle school um music room had a drum set and like between classes this kid was just like ripping on the kit and you know at the time like we're like 12 and he's like 11 and uh and we're like hey he's pretty good and i knew him because he used to play uh we used to play baseball together so i was like hey you want to jam so the three of us we, we were pretty much inseparable for the next um i don't know five or six years and we, we played in a punk band together called Jerk Circus. Um, and Brian and these Brian and the drummer's name is Andy. They went on to form uh, the band The Full Blast, which did pretty well. And Andy also played guitar in Boys Night Out for a while. So, you know, everybody, we all kind of did stuff. And I just saw Brian two days ago. He lives in Montreal. And, you know, he's still doing you know, stuff with the Wilhelm Scream, Wilhelm Scream, and they're, they're still doing really well. So, yeah, I guess I guess it's just kind of weird. You know, we, we kind of stuck together, and then it wasn't until my last year of high school, um, you know, when I decided, hey, like, I love punk rock. I've been doing it for a long time. Maybe I want to try doing something a little bit different. And that's when um, Silverstein got started uh, when I was 19. That was kind of my second band. Uh, other than a short-lived bass when I played bass in one band. But uh, yeah, that's it. And then pretty much from there, Silverstein just, people really, really liked it. You know, it, it people kept coming to our shows, like our local shows, and they were super excited about everything we were doing. And we were like, I don't know. I don't even know if we're as good as like my other, our other bands, but the, the sound we were, you know, doing was something that at the time was, was really fresh and really new, and people were, were really, really excited about it. And how does it feel? I mean, obviously, we can't cover the whole 20 years of your <laughs> career on a podcast, but we're sitting here now, you're doing this 20-year anniversary tour, and it, it must be mind-blowing. You know, you could have never have thought you'd still be there 20 years later with the same band playing these songs that people still want to hear. Oh, dude, no. I mean, I mean, it was a side project originally, this yeah. band. You know, we... We were just, it was just something different. No one really in our area was playing this kind of music that like, you know, because we were getting into, you know, the Get Up Kids and Mineral and some of these, you know, emo bands. And no one in our area had was really doing it quite 
quite the same way. So, you know, we didn't know if we were ever going to uh, record anything, play a show, let alone go on tour, you know, and then here we are, obviously, we've we've done those things. Um, <laughs> and we're about to release our ninth album tomorrow. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's really, really insane um, that we that we're here and, and you know, I'm, I, that, the fact that I'm sitting on the back of a tour bus talking to you, <laughs> it's, it's, it's mind blowing. Like you asked me before, you know, did I, did I have aspirations to be a musician? Did I think, you know, this was like, like, you know, people always say, you hear rock stars in magazines say like, oh yeah, I always knew, like, I always knew this is what, like my calling, I was going to do this. It's like, I didn't know that. I thought it was unattainable. I'm like a, I'm a kid from Canada. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not particularly cool. I don't play guitar the fastest. I don't sing the best, you know, and I didn't think professional musician, being a professional musician was something that I could just do, um, you know, and somehow it happened. And as you just mentioned, we're sitting here now on the eve of your brand new album tomorrow, A Beautiful Place to Drown. How, how does it feel with, you know, it, that like whole new release again and an opportunity to just play brand new songs again live so it feels fresh and you've got this new excitement again. Well, you know, I feel like we, we've been on really just great, great cycles, you know, throughout our whole career to where it, it kind of always feels exciting. Yeah. Um, you know, especially the last few years, like when, when we started, you know, getting enough clout and enough, I guess, longevity that we started doing these anniversary tours for various things. You know, we did a 10 year anniversary for discovering the waterfront and a 15 year anniversary for our first album with broke is easily fixed, you know, and now we're doing a 20 year anniversary, but at the same, but while we're doing all of those kind of look back tours, all those, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, flexing our legacy, um, and, and really just celebrating the past, the whole time we're writing, we're making new records, we're making new music that's really, really getting embraced by our fans and by the critics. And it's really, really cool that we're able to put out what everyone says is our best music, you know, at the same time giving a nod to our former selves. And, and that's so exciting because, yes, we have a record coming out tomorrow and I'm really excited about it and there's really, you know, different things we pulled off on this record the singles have done so well but I know that also tomorrow night in New York City we're going to be playing a 20 year anniversary show where we're going to celebrate everything we've done so it's really really cool that we're able to have both of those things happening at the same time you know it never gets dull it never gets boring we never like at the end of a record cycle going okay well I don't know what we're going to play like I guess play the same songs we played the last year and a half it just doesn't happen like we're, we're we're able to do all these different things and keep it fresh and that's so fun i think not just for us but also our fans whether they're just listening to us you know from afar or whether they're at our shows it is quite rare because i've seen a lot of bands come back so you get bands like at the drive-in uh who come back yeah. and rage against the machine now and for me when i've seen them and system of a down and stuff i don't when i go and see them i'm always a bit disappointed i'm like oh it doesn't seem like they really still have that hunger but then recently i've seen bands like thrice who are now in the same position touring off albums after 15 and 20 years 
How is it, do you think, for you that it's different? Do you think because you haven't had that break for too many years and you still got it, or why is it still so exciting? I, I guess, yeah. I mean, yeah, we've never had a hiatus. We've never taken a break at all. And I think that really is different, you know, from a lot of the, the artists that, you know, they come back and they do the big tour and, you know, they have a lot of hype. And, you know, generally speaking, rightly so, because they did amazing things. But, you know, we've, yeah, we've been here the whole time. We've been putting out records and we've kind of gotten better and better and better. And I think it can be hard for a band when you go away for several years and you jump in and like everything's changed, you know, everyone's a little bit older. Everyone's all this other stuff has, you know, happened. And here you are being like, okay, well, we're going to play these songs. And a lot of times, you know, when bands come back and they put out new music, it's often disappointing for their fans because, you know, they've, there's been so long, like, it's like if they've been putting out records the whole time, maybe there'd be this sort of journey that would make sense. But then, you know, like one of my favorite bands ever is refused, Yeah. you know? And like, I really actually, after listening to their records, their, their new records a couple times, I'm like, okay, I get it. But I feel like I needed to understand that all this time had gone by and everything had grown, you know? And I think that can be very difficult for people to, you know, to, to just kind of embrace. The thing is with a band like refused as well, cause I actually saw them and um, Dennis has been on the show, but Stuff like yeah. everybody wants a shape of punk to come again, but that's so old now, and they were so much younger, and the politics were different, and the music scene was different. They're happier now. Some of them are married. They've got girlfriends. They've yeah. got money. Why would you have that same angst in you to be screaming down a microphone? So I, I do get it. Right. It's it's true, it, you know. But then at the same time, then why why do it? <laughs> yeah. Right? You know, you have to have a little bit of that. You have to. There has to be a point to it, and obviously, with everything going on politically and the, the climate of what's going on, you know, Refuse needs to be out there. I am so glad they're back. Um, you know, Dennis, Dennis did my podcast too, and I remember him saying that when Shape of Punk to Come came out, people didn't like it. Yeah, <laughs> and that's like like that kind of almost led to their breakup. So you know, it, it is it is really hard. You know, also from to take it from a band's perspective, from you know. The, the, the inside from there, you know, just from their inside looking out, you know, it's easy for us to judge. It's easy, easy for us to see, but they're the ones, you know, doing it. So, um, you know, regardless, you know, it, it just is, it's, it's special that we've done 20 years. It's special that we're still here. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, you know, uh, uh I don't have a reason why, uh, it's worked, worked out for us like this, but you know, I'm truly happy and it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. And you don't want to question it too much because it's quite rare and to have it is very fucking cool. So it's it's good to just keep it. Exactly. And you just mentioned your podcast there. So you've got your own podcast, Lead Singer Syndrome. Um, talk to me about this because when a guest comes on and they're a podcaster like Dustin from Thrice, it's like brilliant. Here's someone else that does what I do. I mean, the, the right. title of the podcast explains what it is. But just tell me about how this actually came about. Well, um, a few years back... I was doing this, we had this cover for uh, Substream Magazine in the U.S., and they wanted me to interview Buddy from Census Fail and Buddy from Census Fail to interview me. And that was going to be like the cover uh, feature for this for this magazine. So I was like, okay, that's fun, you know, because let's be honest, a lot of interviews that I've done are pretty shit, you know, um, the same questions, and, you know, it's, it's sometimes a little dull. 
So I was like, okay, this will be fun. I can ask Buddy some things that, you know, maybe he's, you know, never really been asked before or something interesting. So I, so we put that together and afterwards he said to me, Hey man, like that was really good. You asked some really good questions. And I, it just got me thinking, well, how come no one's ever done, you know, a publication where one lead singer interviews another, you know? And, um, I thought the name lead singer syndrome was ridiculous but originally I thought maybe it would be fun to do it as like a YouTube channel. Um, but then I quickly realized that's a lot more work <laughs> Yeah. with editing video and you have to be in the same, you know, place as the person. So, uh, someone suggested, Hey, you should do it as a podcast. So I said, all right, let's do it. And I called up my friends and I recorded them and I, you know, kind of, I signed up with this like podcast network and I have like a, this guy that, you know, kind of knew about podcasts and he's like, dude, you're a natural. You're so good at this. I was like, okay, I don't know. I'm just talking. I guess I'm, a, I'm good at talking. And, uh, yeah, from, from then that was, that would have been late 2015. And I just released my latest episode yesterday, episode 214 with Lizzie Hale of Hailstorm. Nice. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been really cool. I've, I've met so many friends, you know, um, and I've talked to some of my idols, you know, like Fat Mike from No Effects, and I had Milo Ackerman of The Descendants a couple weeks ago. So, you know, being able to have those, pick those people's brains, like, again, if you told me that when I was, <laughs> you know, like we talked about, um, you know, back in the day, growing up in Canada, I would have never believed you. So it's really, really cool, and I really, really enjoy it. And are there, like, like me, I've got a, a notes folder on my iPhone, and I always add names of, like, my dream guests. Is there some that you really want to try and get down that are still on that list? You know, um, Milo is definitely one of them, that's for sure, um, 100%. I think, you know, there's people I would just love to just, because I've heard them, like, somebody like Morrissey, Yeah. okay? Like, that guy, I just want to, I, I, I've read a million interviews with him, but I want to interview him because I want to know what he's really like. Yeah. You know, I want to know what he really thinks. Um, you know, that would be my dream guest because I don't know what is going on with that guy. And I would love to get to the bottom of it, um, you know, or, or somebody like James Hetfield. You know, that yeah. would be like the, the ultimate uh, guy. But, you know, um, of course, you know, you, you, you just keep doing this and you, you build up to it. And, and, you know, I've had some incredible guests. But, you know, at the same time, it, it isn't just about name recognition. Anybody that's a singer of a band that has a great story to tell, that's the best part, you know. And there are so many people out there that are relatively unknown that have just incredible, incredible, you know, tales to tell. And that's what I'm most interested in, uh, in getting. I mean, I'm in the same boat. I've had people like Anthony Hopkins and Mads Mikkelsen, these huge big actors that people are like, oh my fucking God, you've got him. But they've always wow. answered the same questions and their stories are always going to be what everyone knows. When I get the less known people who are, are starting out in the industry or they're working on a film as a, a co-director or they're, they're starting to make a name for themselves, those people right. have no restraints and those people have got so many stories that you're never going to know and... You know, how many times has Paul McCartney been asked about what it was like to work with John Lennon? No one needs to hear that again. So when you get these stories about, you know, just, just them growing up and the way that their careers have turned out, it's fascinating. And my biggest favorite interviews are people you wouldn't even know. But when you listen to yeah. them, it could be just a, 
a person that was working on a set, and their their stories are fucking awesome. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's the same with with some of the the podcasts that I've done. You know, I I went out of my way to interview this band from England called Darko, and a lot of people even from England don't know them. They're a punk band. They put out my favorite record of. I guess it would have been 2017, and uh, I like just really wanted to call, wanted to talk to that guy. So I called him up, and he, he told this like kind of incredible story about you know what it's what it was like for him, and now what it's like being not a full time band but putting out incredible music. And those stories are so are so great. Or uh, Unwritten Law singer Scott Russo telling me about how they used to traffic drugs on tour, you know? Um, <laughs> so there's like, it's, 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 you never know what you're going to get. Um, and that, that could be, it's a really fun thing about, about being a podcast host. Have you ever been in the situation? I mean, I, I had, uh, I always like to prep and have a bit of research done and go with not, not too much of a script, but I like to have at least points yeah. where I can talk about, but I had met and interviewed Corey Feldman, and I had like two pages of stuff all about his 80s films and Gremlins and Goonies and all this. Yeah. And then I asked him, like, tell me about your film career. And he was like, I don't want to talk about my films. I hate it. I just want to talk about music. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, I wasn't I wasn't ready for this. Has that, have you been in a situation where you've had this whole, you know, like sort of vision of how it's going to go and it just doesn't? I've had people tell me they don't want to talk about certain things, um, but it was always before the the interview kind of started. Yeah. But no, I've, I mean, I've had people, you know, because a lot of times, you know, with one thing I love about podcasting so much is that the long format, you know, people get to tell more of the story than just, you know, like the, the shit you hear everywhere, you know? And like, that's why, to me, that's why print interviews kind of suck. You can only print so many pages, you know, you're only going to get so many interesting things in there. So when you have someone speaking on a podcast, it really can go into depth, you know, like I just, I just absolutely love that so much, you know, that's like, that's like the biggest thing. But, you know, once in a while I'll have someone open up to me so much that after it's over, they'll be like, Hey man, I know I mentioned this, this, and this. Can you like cut that out? <laughs> you know, um, and that's happened to me so many times when someone's like, "Yeah, when I said this and this, like, I really can't, really shouldn't have said that." So I always honor that. I always, you know, I always respectful enough to the guests for them to take the time, you know, to, you know, to, to speak with me. I'll take the time to, you know, to edit to edit out if they say anything that you know they don't want aired, you know, because. I think it's cool that they were opened enough, opened up enough to me to to actually say that, you know. And and the thing is, you're a good guy, and you're not there to try and get a headline. You're not a journalist. You're not some asshole from a newspaper right. who wants to try and fuck someone over. So the fact they've given you their time, I've I've been in situations where they've said something that it could be a headline of a newspaper, but I just delete it without even being asked because I'm like, I'm not out to try and win a fucking few pounds and just try and get a cheap headline. I'm here because I like the form of a good half an hour conversation where it sounds like two people in a bar having a coffee yeah. or a beer and just chatting away and not trying yeah. to, you know, just try and get the scoop. And like you said, there's nothing worse than watching telly now and, hey, we got so-and-so from Paramore. How's it going? Great. When's the album out? Monday. Brilliant. Check it out. And I'm like, well, what the fuck was that? You've just wasted that artist and I've learned nothing, you know? Right. Exactly. No, exactly. And, and yeah, it's funny. It's funny you say that about the headlines. I, I find when I do a podcast, you know, and I prepare for it. 
and I talk to the guests and I edit it and then I do the artwork and, you know, and all this stuff. I do the intro and the outro and, you know, everything that you do for a podcast. And then once it's ready, I look at the description box and I never know what the fuck to write. Like, that's the <laughs> hardest part. I spent so much time and I can't manage to sum it up in like three sentences, let alone try to pull a headline from it, you know. So that that's definitely that's something I struggle with, and maybe that's to my own detriment of you know my own you know self promotion. But at the same time, you know I think I have a core group of of fans that really enjoy my style and my format, and um, you know I'm sure you do too because you know you have a great way of making people feel comfortable and, and opening up to you as well. So I'm sure that's why you've done so well. It's funny, isn't it, as well, because people always say, like, I like your style, and I like the way you get the guests to open up. It's like, well, I don't really have a style. I think that's why, because I'm just being me talking, and I think people just go, oh, actually, I, you're not here just to try and fuck me over. I'm enjoying just talking. So yeah. it's uh, there's nothing better than, than listening back, and like you said, just I edit all my own stuff. I don't have a producer, none of that stuff, and I, I love being there and just listening back and hearing that the guest is enjoying it and they're not ready to just cry and get off the phone after 10 minutes. <laughs> exactly, yeah, 100%. So, you, I mean, you've done over 200 episodes. I'm only on like 70 and I'm proud, but that, that's a fucking awesome amount of work. I mean, uh, you must do you edit and do all your own stuff yourself? Yeah, I do everything myself, 100%. Um, and I do it every week. Sometimes, you know, like I'm on tour right now, sometimes it can be tricky, you know, to find the time to you know, find a quiet place to either talk to a guest over the phone or record an intro or edit or whatever. But yeah, I've, I've, for the most part, I've done it every week for 214 weeks. Um, I don't know, man. I just, I enjoy it. It's, it's for me, it's, it's really, it's, it's, I find it kind of relaxing um, to, to, you know, just, just, I don't know, pick someone's brain, have a great conversation and then go in and, and listen back and I, I really just enjoy it so but yeah it is it is kind of crazy like you know I remember when I hit episode 100 I thought that was crazy and now to be over 200 is is wild what I really like about it as well it's like a diary entry for me so it's like I'm not saying I'm going to leave a legacy that's too much of a, a big word but I like the fact that I've left my thing out there so on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and stuff I've got like two years of me growing up and learning and talking to people and it's no one can ever take that away. I can look at December last year when I spoke to someone and then August this year and I'm like, that's fucking cool. Like I, I've got like this little sort of catalogue of what I've done. That is really interesting. I don't think I've thought about it that way. That's, that is a, a cool take. Yeah. Because I'm sure, you know, even, even when I go back and I listen to some of my, my episodes, like especially around the end of 2016, like when there was the whole Trump um, era, you know, when it was Hillary and Trump and, oh, Trump can't possibly win, you know, and everyone talking about that on the podcast and then we see what happened, you know, it's kind of crazy just, just how you can kind of catalog, you know, some, even some historic events, you know, the, the big ones that you end up kind of talking about on, on the, on the air as well. And I suppose, I'm, I'm sure you've got the same mindset as me, you can never really perfect it, I always think you can learn, I always, when I'm talking to you today, I'm hearing stuff and thinking, oh yeah, that's not a bad idea, and this and that, and when you're when you're talking to guests, it's for me about letting them talk, I, I hate listening to people that ask a question and then make it all about themselves and talk over the guests, but are you the right. same, are you in a position where you're 
you're always trying to learn new things and improve your intro and do little bits and try different techniques of editing and stuff like that? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I've been, that's actually something that some people have said as a, as a critique of me is that I do, you know, I do talk too much and I do relate it back to myself. But of course the format is a lot different um, on my pod, be, podcast because it's two lead singers talking about comparing notes, you know, yeah. on what it's like to do, to do this absolutely insane job that, um, is the, probably the one, one of the weirdest jobs you can ever have, um, you know, being a rock star and being a front man, you know, or woman. So yeah, you know, um, definitely I am constantly, you know, trying to get better. Um, I have this question to ask you though. Um, do you find that you get nervous in different ways with different types of guests? Like if you have someone like Anthony Hopkins, I mean, wow. Like, does it feel different when you, when you know you're calling a guy like that versus when you're calling a guy like me? Like, um, what's the difference there for you? I think, I think I've been more nervous when it's a podcast. I'm not just saying this because you're on the phone, but I had like Dustin from Fry's who I listened to his podcast and he's doing really well. He's only like 15 episodes in, but he's, he just sounds like a natural. He's got a really good producer. So it, the sound quality is brilliant. I love his intro, his outro, and he like plays audio clips at the start of the interview. So it's like a little preview of what's to come. And I'm like, fuck, why didn't I ever do that? When I've talked to people like Anthony Hopkins and Mads Mikkelsen and these big guests that are just, it, I can't even in my head try and even think about it because I would just freeze. I just have to be like, this is just someone I'm talking to. It's like my granddad. I can't sit there and think this is the guy that's Hannibal Lecter. I, I can't because it's it would just throw me off. So I just try and have as much fun and kind of just be on their level as much as I can if that's even yeah. possible, you know? Yeah, no, totally. I, I don't know. I've, I've had, yeah, I've had some big guests and I've, I've had to kind of take a few breaths before I hit the, you know, the FaceTime audio button to call them. Uh, definitely like, okay, what am I going to say? And then of course, right when they pick, pick up the phone, it's just like, I don't know, I get this confidence and I'm like, okay, I know what I'm doing. So yeah, but it is, it is, uh, it is a weird thing. It's a weird thing. So those people that are listening to this podcast now thinking, I'm going to go and check out Lead Singer Syndrome, obviously they can hook you up on Twitter, Facebook, all the normal stuff, but this is probably a bit of an annoying question. What would you recommend for those people to listen to first to give them a really good idea about what you're about? Well, I think the best thing to do is just to start at the newest and work your way backwards. Yeah. Kind of like the opposite way you would binge watch a TV show. Um, you know, and it's and like kind of like you said, you know, the whole the whole self diary and the, the historic aspect of the of the podcast, you know, you can kind of go back and be like, Oh, interesting. Now I'm in now I'm back in two thousand eighteen when this happened and or whatever, right? You know, and it's it is kind of cool to, to, to do it that way and also, you know, that way I think the interviews are more relevant when they're newer. Um, but but you know, you can cherry pick, go back and find some guests maybe you've heard of, but I think it's it's always great and always important to, you know, a lot of people listen to my show to find out about new music, you know, and it's it's a great way to do that is to just go pull someone you've never heard of their band before and say, I'm going to check this out. and Maybe you'll discover something you really like. I made the mistake of setting the bar too high. So my very first ever guest was Kevin Smith, um, oh who, who is literally the king of podcasts for me. I'm like, he's just fucking awesome. And I love his films. And 
I was I would never tell anyone to go and listen to my first episode. Yes, it's a great guest and it pulls them in, but I'm a fucking kid. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm nervous. I'm asking stupid questions. There's no flow. It doesn't. There's no consistency. And I'm I'm like, please don't judge me on this. Yes, it's Kevin Smith, but go back and listen to Neil Blomkamp or someone like that because that's a good talk, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah. Why is Clerks black and white? I don't know. I no, that's that's crazy. Wow, what a first guest. No, I, my first guest was um was Caleb Shomo from Beartooth. Oh, nice. And um, it actually was a really good episode. And I I would encourage people if they want to start with the first episode, they could do that for me because um, he's a good friend. And we sat on the bus and we just talked. And you know, I think I'm glad that it was let's say Caleb Shomo and not Fat Mike. Because I would have been too nervous for my first one, you know, and because it was a friend and somebody that I knew, um, you know, and at the time, Caleb wasn't, you know, Beartooth is such a huge band now. This is like, this is like four and a half years ago, um, you know, so, so, you know, he's grown and, and we've both grown, but it is a, it is a cool episode to start with. But then I met, how did, you, how did you hook up Kevin Smith, your first one? Do you know what? I went to his, he played one of his films, uh, Yoga Hoses, in uh, London, and I was just that guy that waited around at the end and said, look, can I just have 15 minutes of your time here and now? I was like, you know, one of your big things, Kevin, is always saying about relating to Wayne Gretzky and always being the guy to take the shot, and I'm like, I'm here now, ready to take the shot. You can say yes, you can say no, but if I don't ask, I'll never know where that puck's going to go. And he's like, fuck it, man, let's do it. And I was like, oh my God, like, ah. Damn, with the hockey references too. Yeah, I thought, you do wow. my, you know. But you just wow. talked wow. then about, you just talked about Beartooth. That's what I was about to say. I was like, we talked about going back and over five years and history and all this, but talking to Caleb and him talking probably at that point about how he wants to get the band bigger and more established, They've literally just played London last week, sold out a huge venue. They couldn't yeah. be bigger. They couldn't be better. They're on the fucking A game right now. So you must be like, I'm so fucking proud of how that's turned out for them. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's, they're some of my best friends. And to see them doing so well is is, is amazing. I mean, I knew, I knew they had it in them. I mean, I knew from the first song on the first record that, that this was a band that was going to do some, you know, make some big waves. So yeah, it is, it is incredible. And it really, it just, there's success. It couldn't happen to better people or nicer guys. So, um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic to see. Okay, man. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. I'm going to let you go and enjoy New York and take your time out before you've got the album tomorrow. You've got a fucking 20, 20 year show. It's going to be insane. I want to just thank you for your time. I can't wait to listen to your podcast and just, I really appreciate you coming on to today's podcast, man. Thank you, Mark. Keep in touch. All the best. Good luck. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Shane from the band Silverstein. What a great guy. What a great interview. And like I said at the start of today's interview, to get to hear him talk about his own podcast, Lead Singer Syndrome, was great because until I did this interview, I wasn't aware of it. And since then, I've gone back and listened to some of his interviews. And there's so many out there and each episode is great. So I highly recommend you all go and check those out now, especially if you love music and you love hearing about the stories about being on the road. I just listened to the interview with Dennis from Refused. Absolutely awesome interview. As you heard on there as well, the Beartooth interview is absolutely fantastic. There's loads. So go and dip into that. It is literally leadsingersyndrome.com. But yeah, I highly, highly recommend it. In the meantime, everyone, if you can keep going on to markandme.com, there's my social media, there's my Twitter, my Facebook, my Instagram. 
I regularly check that and make sure I reply to every single message I get but also there is my actual Patreon and I gave away some amazing prizes this month including a thrice signed vinyl, some Kevin Smith signed figures and loads loads more and I'm trying to make the prizes even bigger and better every month and you can go on there and sign up for as little as about a pound a month which is nothing right now and it all goes straight back into the podcast and means I can get more and more interviews done which means more and more episodes for you guys out there. Like I said today, I'm sorry the sound quality isn't quite as good as what you're used to, but at the moment it's the best I can do in lockdown. I hope everyone's staying safe, and I'll be back in just over a week with a brand new episode. Thanks again for listening, and I'll speak to you all then.